good morning again, everyone. It is good to see you. Uh, as always, welcome back to Community Church. We're so glad to have you here with us in each, each and every week. Um, it's just a great time to worship together and, and to get to see one another and catch up. But in reality, it's, it's good to just be together in the house of the Lord with people who believe the Word of God and who want to serve Jesus with all their heart. And uh, so it's, uh, I know it charges my batteries each and every week to gather with you guys. So um, welcome back again to Community Church. I know, uh, I hope you've had a, a great week. Um, but what I was going to say is I know we had a great men's breakfast uh, yesterday. We had a good time there. We um, had some good food. We enjoyed some good fellowship. Um, we gathered around the Word of God together as well. We talked about the early church a little bit and how that correlates to what uh, we're hoping to do here at Community Church. Um, but uh, if you weren't able to make it, guys, we're going to plan on having a men's breakfast once a month. And so uh, we would love to have you. If you would like to come, then, then mark your calendars for Saturday, September 17th. That's going to be our next men's breakfast. It'll be at my house from 8 to 10. And, uh, you know, you can bring a dish if you would like to. If not, we want you to come anyway. Um, but we're going to try to have that again, like I said, once per month. And so, and by the way, I wanted to let some of you ladies know um, that you don't need to let your man get away with telling you he doesn't know how to cook. Some of our men do know how to cook. On the other hand, some of your guys have been telling you the truth. Okay, so come see me afterwards, and I'll let you know who can cook and, and who can't. But no, it was, a, it was great. It was a really fun time. We've had a nice break in the weather. This week was great. We had rain earlier on in the week. Uh, the temperatures have dropped down. Uh, and so it's just been, uh, it's been great. And it's kind of got me thinking, I don't know, is, it, is fall coming? You know, I hope I'm not a little early on that but it's been beautiful in the midwest that's for sure it's got me anxious for fall but um, anyway enough of the the weather report now time for the news right so we're going to continue on in luke chapter 9 this morning uh, so if you have your bibles turn with me to verses 12 through 17 in luke chapter 9 that's where we're going to spend our time this morning in our verse by verse chapter by chapter study through the gospel of luke and so and today we actually come to the miracle of Christ that we see in all four of the Gospels, okay, which is unique because this is the only miracle that was performed by Christ that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, of course, with the exception of Christ's own resurrection, okay? And most people commonly refer to this miracle here this morning uh, as the feeding of the 5,000. That's how you're going to be familiar with that. But as we're going to see as we move through the text this morning, there were, in fact, many more people present that day than just 5,000, uh, and they all got to experience the blessing of Christ's miracle. And, of course, we're going to be able to gain some further understanding as well from all of the gospel writers this morning. Uh, the Holy Spirit led each one of them to write about this miracle, and so that sort of lends some importance to it, and we want to check out what they have to say about that. So our comparison gospels this morning will be found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44, and then in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. So if you would like to do some further study uh, in the comparison passages, it's Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. So all right, let's pray again quickly, and then we'll get into our text this morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for this time together around your word. Thank you for this morning with our church family. Thank you for this morning with you, Lord. 
thank you for blessing us with your word and blessing us with your spirit. And as we take this time to study into your word, my prayer is that you would speak to our hearts, each one individually as we have need, Lord. And you know where we're at. You know what we're thinking about. You know what we're going through. And so I just pray that you would take this text, the word of God, and apply that to our need this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 12, reads like this. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. For we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and they made them all sit down. Verse 16, then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. Amen. So now both Matthew and Mark in their gospels, they tell us that Christ and his disciples came to this place where they are now by boat. Okay, that's Matthew 14, 13 and Mark 6, 32. However, Matthew says that Jesus departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Okay, and Mark, on the other hand, says they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So, did they take more than one boat? I don't know. That seems possible. Or, did Matthew simply put the emphasis on Christ while Mark included the others? Again, we're not sure, but that explanation there, rather, seems the most plausible to me. I think that's probably what happened. But as we've seen many times in our study so far through the Gospel of Luke, two things can be true at the same time, right? It just depends on the angle and the perspective that you're looking from. So the gospel writers, by God's grace, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and by His direction, they've given us sort of a 4D view of the ministry and life of Christ. And so the content is largely the same in the gospels, right? But the view is enhanced by its expansion, if you will. All right, so not to mention, uh, the reason we have four gospels is because you can read all over Scripture uh, that it says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. So I have several scriptures here that I can give you to support that. And so they're validating their message in more than one way here for sure. But here's another example of the expanded view that we get from having multiple gospel writers. Okay, Luke said that he, meaning Jesus, took them and went aside privately to a deserted place. That's Luke 9.10. All right, But John tells us that Jesus went up on a mountain, and he sat there with his disciples. That's John 6, 3, which would probably mean that hilly area that surrounded this region, this area of the Sea of Galilee there along the northern shoreline where they were. So the deserted place that we see in Luke is enhanced and expanded to a mountainous region by John. They're both true, right? So we are absolutely blessed to have four writers writing about the life of our Lord, each from a unique perspective and from different angles, which 
ultimately gives us a much fuller picture of the ministry of Christ. And so we should be very grateful that we have four gospel accounts. Um, And it's wise uh, to take all of them into account whenever we begin to develop our understanding of the text. And so, but here again, it seems to me that Jesus and his disciples, they left for Bethsaida at the same time. They could have traveled separately in the same boat or not, right? Either way, I think the point is that they all got to the deserted place together. And so this is the place where they sought rest, right? Instead, what God showed them was, here's another opportunity for you. They went looking for rest. And in fact, what they ended up with was another opportunity for ministry. So let's pick up our story in verse 12 of Luke chapter 9. It says this, When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. Now last week, we've seen how Christ had spoken to this crowd. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those in need of healing. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 11. And Matthew and Mark both tell us that this was because Christ was moved with compassion. We see that in Matthew 14 and Mark 6. Okay, so even though Christ and his disciples were trying to get away so that they could just get some rest after an extended period of time in ministry throughout the entire region of Galilee, he still made time for those who were hurting. Christ still made time for them. Guys, I hope you know this morning that the compassion of Christ never rests they were looking for rest but an opportunity for ministry came and christ had compassion psalm 111 verse 4 says he has made his wonderful works to be remembered the lord is gracious and full of compassion again psalm 11 verse 4 so the works of christ are remembered why because his works are full of compassion aren't they so the compassion of our lord is just as full as those baskets that remained after the miracle we read about this morning, okay? Which, of course, tells us, too, that, hey, our baskets, we have baskets of blessing in our life as well, all because Christ has shown us compassion, right? And so although uh, Christ's disciples here, they had, in a sense, in one sense, learned how to catch fish, if you will, during their ministry time in Galilee, They went out to preach. They went out to heal. They done all of those things. They still needed a good lesson here on compassion, right? Which Christ, by the way, had already tried to teach them whenever he told them to freely give because you have freely received. That's Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. But here's the deal. Now Christ is going to show them firsthand what compassion looks like, right? Christ had compassion, but his disciples wanted to send the crowd away. Okay, But Christ taught them compassion. How? by actually being compassionate okay he did that William MacDonald said man how like our own hearts he says in matters concerning ourselves we say like Peter oh command me Lord to come to you that's Matthew 14 28 but how easy is it for us to say concerning others well send them away we get like that sometimes don't we because too often we prefer our own comfort over being compassionate toward other people. So obviously, I know I can learn a lot here, that's for sure. And I think one of the primary things that I can learn is that compassion is never a matter of convenience. Okay, we should consider this because Jesus was interrupted again. 
He, he's been interrupted several times at this point. Here he was again. And even though, as John tells us, these people, they were only following Jesus for one reason, just because of the signs. John lets us in on that little detail. They were following Christ because of the signs. They saw him do this, um, and so that's, that's why they were following him. That's John 6, 2. But even that didn't dissuade Christ from being compassionate on these people, because regardless of their motive, okay, these people still had a need, and Christ was going to meet that need. Because compassion always trumps convenience. Dr. Ironside, he said this. He said, evidently, the people had been so stirred that they had not even thought about their own need, which he's talking about hunger here. He says, many of them were far from home and night was coming. He said, this is like many people today who are far from home and hungry and night coming on. But thank God. The blessed Lord himself makes provisions for you. Amen to that. And what a great reminder here for every believer in Jesus Christ, because we need to always remember that there are people out there today, everywhere we go, who are far away from home spiritually. Okay, And by God's grace and through the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, hopefully they will find themselves beginning to get a little hungry for more than what this world has to offer, right? And so it becomes very imperative for you and me as a believer in Jesus Christ to be faithful to the message of Christ and to be faithful to the mission of Christ. Why? Because nightfall is coming. Nightfall is coming. Guys, this age of grace that we're living in today is ending. So it's time for you and I to feed the hungry, Right? The time is now. And praise the Lord, Christ has provided the satisfaction for every hungry soul. Okay? Every hungry soul can find their satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Amen. The Lord is merciful and He is compassionate. And by the way, He is willing and able to fill every hungry soul. And I'm reminded of our Lord's own mother, what she said in her prophecy back in Luke chapter 1. We studied this uh, months ago now, but this reminded me of what she said, where she prophesied about Christ saying, He has filled the hungry with good things. That's Luke 1.53. Amen. The compassion and goodness of Christ is on display today, right now, just like it was in Luke chapter 9, to every heart that will find its satisfaction in Him. Verse 13, but he said to them, meaning his disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go buy food for all these people. And so again, here, the apostle John gives us some really good insight here because he tells us that Christ had actually asked Philip where they could buy some bread. And scripture tells us that Christ, of course, was asking Philip that to test them to test his disciples, because he already knew what he was going to do. That's John chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. But I wonder how I would have answered that question. If Christ in this moment would have asked me, where can we buy some bread, how would have I responded to that? I mean, part of me says, well, I hope anyway, I hope that I would say something like, well, Lord, uh, you know, you're God. And of course, you know that I am a man of faith and uh, have a ton of it. And so you could make bread from these stones. Maybe I would have said something like that. That would have been pretty spiritual of me to say that. 
But of course, that's exactly what Satan said, wasn't it? When Christ was being tempted in the wilderness, to which Christ replied, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Every word of God. Hang on to that. Because Jesus tells his disciples, by his word, you give them something to eat. That's what he said. After he had given them power and authority to do some very supernatural things throughout the region of Galilee, right? So here's the deal. Guys, let's not miss an opportunity to be used by Christ because our faith doesn't match up to the size of the miracle, right? Christ said, you give them something to eat. And Christ can take what little we have, whatever that is, and make a lot out of it, as we're going to see, right? But if I'm honest, I might have answered just like Philip did. I don't know. Philip said this in John chapter 6, verse 7. He said, well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them might have a little. So they had some cash on hand, but it wasn't enough, right? So Philip, obviously being the head of the finance committee here, he'd done a little quick math, and he concluded that, hey, Jesus, we can't afford to feed all these people. So here we see finances over faith instead of faith over finances. But then there's Andrew. That's Peter's brother. Okay, Andrew pipes up and he says, well, hey, there's a lad down here who has five barley loaves. And he's got two small fish. But what are they among so many? That's John chapter 6, verses 8 through 9. So obviously, Andrew had been out doing a little scouting. Okay? He was sort of a do-it-yourselfer kind of a guy, wasn't he? He was like, let's just get it done, right? We have a problem, so what's our solution to the problem? I can respect that. Because even though Andrew was skeptical as to how many people could be fed with so little food... Guess what? He still obeyed the word of God. Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And Andrew headed out in search of food. So I think Andrew at least had a measure of faith here. Okay. And that could be, I'm just spitballing here, right? That could be why Jesus chose to use his resources. Right. I don't know. But Philip, he had a knack for finance. Andrew had a knack for finding solutions, but neither one of them could clearly see through their eyes of faith. So I think Christ is teaching his disciples that you have much, much more. Guys, you have much more than five loaves and two fish, Andrew. You have more than that. Okay, You have much more than money right here before you, Philip. You have me. And I'm actually the bread of life. I'm the bread of heaven, John 6, 33 and 35. And we're going to touch a little bit more on that in just a bit. But I think what you and I can learn here is that if we have been partakers of the bread of life, then we always have something to give others to eat, don't we? Always. And it's our responsibility to do that. Again, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And so I think the answer that Christ was looking for here was something like, okay, Lord, by your power and with your authority, we're going to give this crowd something to eat. I think he was looking for faith here. Now, could they have known what the miracle was going to be? No, surely not. 
But as we've been learning all throughout our study through the Gospel of Luke, the message is always paramount to the miracle. Okay, so start with obeying the Word of God, and Christ is going to provide the miracle. He'll do that because the application for us today is this right here. Guys, again, there are people who are far away from home and they are dying in their sins. They are hungry and they are unable to fill their hungry souls with good things. And nightfall is coming soon. And so Christ is saying to you and me, go give them something to eat. Go give them something to eat. And so let's give them Jesus Christ. Verses 14 and 15. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. So Mark tells us in Mark chapter 6, verse 40, that they all sat down in ranks, in hundreds, and in fifties. Okay, so a rank here literally means a plot of ground. Okay, so it's not like they were sitting down in terms of authority you know, or a military terminology. You know, this is not a hierarchy type of thing. Uh, the term rank was actually just a generic Hebrew idiom that was used during that time to describe a division or an arrangement. Uh, so Christ simply had his disciples organize the crowd into groups that could be divided by 50. That's what's going on here, which of course would make them easier to count that way, wouldn't it? As evidenced by the fact that all four gospel writers mention the number 5,000 men. And so I also think that gives further credence to all of their stories and they validate one another. But Matthew, Mark, and John, all three of them tell us that they also sat down in the grass, okay? Which to me is a very interesting detail. Mark even says they sat down in green grass. That's Mark chapter 6, verse 39. Now it gets a little more interesting, doesn't it? Because Mark is also the gospel writer who told us that the reason Christ was so moved with compassion toward these people is because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. Okay, that's Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And now things are starting to get very interesting. Think about this. Go sit down, all you hungry people who are without a shepherd in the green grass. Does any of this sound familiar? Psalm 23, verses 1 through 2 says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That would include food. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You see, Christ and his disciples had come to this deserted place looking for rest, and he's about to teach all of them that you will not find true rest until you find it in me, until you find your rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ alone is our Sabbath. He alone is the place where we will find our rest. It's Christ who is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. We sit down in his pasture and we feed on his grass, right? And we don't want for anything because he has provided everything that we need. So here's the deal. If you are weary this morning, if you are weary, then come and find your rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are hungry, if your soul is hungry, then you can come and fill up on Christ. Look, the money's not going to buy the miracle, Philip. 
The money's not going to buy the miracle. And you're right, Andrew. If all we have is this little boy's lunch right here, then everybody is going to go home hungry. But that's not all you have. That's not all you have. You have Christ. And Christ is all that you need. Verse 16. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitudes. Now, I want you to look closely at the actions of Christ here. Okay, what did Jesus do? Well, first he looked up to heaven, right? Then he blessed, then he broke, then he gave, and then this food was set out before the multitude, okay? Again, look carefully here because I don't want you to miss this. Christ was sent from heaven. He is the blessed son of God who was broken for our sin, who was given as a gift and set before the world. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the kingdom of God right here. This is the message before the miracle. Guys, Christ is both the source and the supplier of our every need. Jesus Christ is our daily bread. He told us to pray like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And so here we see Christ actually producing the bread and providing the bread. And then he charges his disciples to do what? You go distribute that bread. It's amazing. Fellas, go bring this miracle to the people. Go take this to the multitude, right? Go give them the news that they've been waiting for. It's time to eat. Jesus Christ is the good news that fills every hungry soul. Jesus Christ is both the message and the miracle. Guys, it is all about him. It's all about him. And you and I, as his children, as followers of Christ, we are charged with distributing this message to the people, okay? Because this message can bring the miracle of salvation to everyone who will receive it. Every starving soul can be filled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So why do I still fight with the flesh? Right? Why, why do I do that? Jesus said, sit down. That's what he told them. Why do I still wander around like a lost sheep, right? Feeding on things in this world that will never fill me up completely. Jesus said, sit down in the green grass. Very specific. Let the good shepherd fill your soul. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Now, I want to take just a minute here to reiterate a major point, really, in this miracle. Uh, these 5,000 men that are mentioned in each of the gospel accounts, which Matthew tells us that this number did not actually include women and children. That's Matthew 14, 21. So in all honesty, this number could be closer to 10,000 than 5,000. There was a lot of people here that day. But here's the point. All of these people here, they represent a world of hungry souls. Okay, that's what they represent. Who are starving to be filled with the bread of life. And the disciples here in this miracle, well, they represent the children of God. They represent you and me, followers of Christ, who are charged with giving the crowd something to eat. Okay, and so as Christ's representatives here on earth, meaning his church, we have to give them Jesus. We have to give this world Jesus. Because the day is beginning to wear away. That's what Luke said, right? 
The day's beginning to wear away. So the time that we have, guys, to get the gospel into the world is getting short. But too often we're reluctant and we just want to send them away. Don't, don't bother me right now. I've got other things to do. Just send them away. Maybe we don't want to be bothered by another interruption. I don't know. Maybe we think we're short on resources like, like the disciples did. Maybe we think, well, we've only got five loaves and two fish. But in reality, could it be that we might just be a little bit short on faith? Because Christ can multiply whatever we have to make sure that each and every mouth is fed and each and every stomach is full, right? Christ can do that. In other words, there is an endless supply of his grace. There is an abundance of his grace, which is to say there's always more than enough, right? Again, at least for now, at least for now, because the day is drawing to a close and we shouldn't delay our obedience any longer. That's for sure. Because Christ just took, think about this, Christ just took a little boy's lunch and fed more than 5,000 people, probably closer to 10,000. So what do you think he could do with a church that's full of people who are willing to give up all that they have for the cause of Christ? What do you think he could do? Verse 17. So they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. How great is this? Everyone ate and everyone was filled here. Guys, nobody, nobody who has ever partaken of Jesus Christ has ever left hungry. No one. And not only that, here we see the abundance of blessing in Christ, okay, that we've been talking about, because his blessings always exceed our need, don't they? The word says that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Interesting. One for each disciple. Each disciple had a basket. Christ has a way of making his point, doesn't he? John tells us in John 6, 12, that Christ commanded his disciples to gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. I love that. How many blessings have been lost on me because I have failed to gather up the fragments that remain? I wonder. Some of you might know what I mean, right? Maybe you've been there too. How often do I fail to take the time to evaluate my life, to look around, at my life and gather up all that Christ has given me? How often do I take the time to reflect on stuff like that so that I can store it up into my memory? Why? So that I'll never forget. I think it would strengthen my faith if we did. That's why we have this book of remembrance over here for our church. But each, each disciple here, they left with a basket of blessings, right, to remember this miracle by and uh, we're going to see next week that that also served to strengthen their own faith and their Messiah. But I want to spend the rest of our time here this morning, uh, and it won't be long, uh, 40, 45 minutes, something like that. Um, but I want to uh, look at the response of those in the crowd. And then I want to take a look quickly at Christ's own illustration of this miracle. John tells us in John chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, that when these men saw the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. But if you think about it, even now, they were still just as confused as Herod was. They didn't know. 
They didn't get it. And Christ, of course, in his infinite wisdom here, he perceived that these people were only coming to take him by force because they wanted to make him king. They wanted to make him their king. And so what Jesus did was he got out of there. Okay, he left. He ran back up the mountain before they could follow him, John 6, 15. And then later that evening, his disciples, they all headed back toward Capernaum. Okay, and this is where Jesus catches up to them by walking on the water. You're familiar with that miracle, right? Luke doesn't record that miracle. He's the only gospel writer, by the way, to not include it, but the rest of them do. But of course, Christ gets on the boat. They eventually get across the sea and they sail back together over to uh, the region of Galilee. But then on the following day, on the following day, when the people realized that Christ was back in Capernaum, they came to him and they asked him, Rabbi, when did you come here? John 6, 25. And then Jesus proceeds to absolutely expose their hearts because he gives them an exposition of this miracle that would explain to them exactly who he is, right? They completely missed it. They didn't understand who Christ was or what Christ was trying to teach them. Warren Wiersbe said that they were more interested in their stomach than their souls. And I think that squares nicely with what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 6, 26, You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. That's why you sought me. So they thought he was a prophet and they came after him as a king. He was a guy who could do things for them. He was beneficial to them. But Jesus was about to tell them, Oh, it's much more than that, guys. I'm actually the Christ. I am your Messiah. He said this in John 6, 32, 32 through 33. He said, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And of course, they still weren't getting it, but they said, well, Lord, then give us this bread always. Yeah, sounds good. Free lunch every day. I'm in. Who wouldn't say that? But then Jesus flat out tells them, in John 6, 35 through 36, he says, I am the bread of life. He said, he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. You see, Christ can give us, guys, what Moses and the prophets or David and the kings never could. Jesus said, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. Again, John 6, 27. So Christ is the bread. He's the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven. Christ is the bread of God. In other words, Jesus Christ is God's gift to the world, right? He was never vague about that. But unfortunately, as John goes on to record here in his gospel, even Christ's own people, the Jews, they flat out rejected him. And we're going to see next week exactly what Peter believed about Christ. But here's the question for you and me today. What do I believe about Christ? What do I believe about Jesus Christ? I mean, have his miracles been enough to authenticate his message in my opinion? What have I decided after I've looked at the life and ministry of Christ and counted all the costs of following him? What have I decided? I mean, 200 denarii may not be enough to feed 5,000 men, but is the blood of Jesus Christ enough to cover my sins? Is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection enough for me 
to place my faith in him? Or am I going to be like the Jews who were looking for the signs but completely missed the Savior? Now, of course, this whole miracle here has a perfectly practical side to it as well. I mean, these people were hungry for real. And Christ showed them real compassion. But if I can be blunt with you this morning, this miracle here, the point of this miracle is not about compassion. It's about Christ. That's the point of the miracle. He is the bread that was sent from heaven. Christ is the bread that was blessed and broken and that was given and set before us. Now, do I believe that? Do I believe that? What am I to do with this man who took more than 5,000 shepherdless sheep, organized all of them in groups of 50 on plots of green grass, sat them down and fed them from one little boy's lunch? And then afterwards, he told them, I'm the bread. I'm the bread. But I'm the bread that never perishes, right? I'm the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I'm greater than the bread from heaven that fed your fathers, the Israelites. Remember while they were wandering around out there in the wilderness of sin for 40 years? Don't miss the connection here either. Where do you think you and I are wandering around? But the Israelites missed it. In fact, they even called that bread, you'll remember, they called that bread manna. You remember that in Exodus 16, 31? That word manna, it literally means, what is it? And that's what they called it. And right here, Jesus is saying, I am. I'm the bread. I'm the bread from heaven. So Christ is greater, indeed, than all of the old prophets, Luke 9, 8. Right? I mean, Elijah, by the hand of the Lord, he fed more than 100 men with 20 loaves of bread and a knapsack of grain. That's 2 Kings 4. But Jesus is saying, you guys just watched me feed more than 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. So again, Christ is greater. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Elisha and Moses and all of the old prophets. But is that enough to convince me to reach out to Christ in faith and take the bread of life? Will I receive that gift of God and never hunger again? Guys, those are critically important questions that we all have to deal with. Okay, every person has to deal with those questions because they have eternal consequences. But lastly, I just want to say this. If you're a believer, if you are born again, you've already turned from your sins and trusted in Christ alone by faith to save you. Then I want you to consider this. That little boy who had the lunch, he gave up everything he had, didn't he? That's what he had. And he gave it up for the cause of Christ. So what we see there is childlike faith, childlike faith. So the question I need to ask myself here is, am I willing to surrender everything that I have? Am I willing to entrust everything that I have completely to Christ? Charles Spurgeon said, your possessions are never so safe as when you are willing to resign them. And you are never so rich as when you put all that you have into the hand of God. Amen. William MacDonald said, you know what? The world could be evangelized in this generation if Christians would surrender to Christ all that they are and all that they have. And that's the enduring lesson here from this miracle of feeding the 5,000. I'll end with this story. Dr. H.A. Ironside told a story one time 
of um, a pastor who was preaching in a situation in a revival, I think. It was a missions conference, something like that. But he had just preached a message very similar to the one that you just heard. And in the crowd that day was a little girl who was crippled, and she walked with a crutch. And so she had heard the message, and the pastor was calling everyone to surrender everything that they have to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the Lord worked on her heart. And so at the end of the message, this girl hobbles up to the front and hands her crutch to the pastor. And uh, she said, I, I don't have anything but this crutch, but I want to surrender everything that I have to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe he could use that. What could he do with this crutch? So the pastor took the crutch and he held it up and he said, who would like to buy this young lady's crutch? She has come forward to give this to the Lord, to use for his glory. Who'd like to buy it? People just started shouting numbers out. I'll take it for this. I'll buy it for that. Hundreds of dollars were raised. And at the end of the service, all the people who had bid on the crutch, right, they took it back to the little girl and said, here's your crutch. But you see what that one act of childlike faith done. One little girl with one crutch to her name, offering it up in service to her Lord. You see how that affected everybody that was there. One little boy with a bag of lunch gave everything he had. Christ multiplied that over and over and over and over again. What could he do with community church if we gave everything that we had, if we would surrender everything that we have and all that we are to the cause of Christ? What do you think he could do? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the message today. Thank you for your word. It's eternal and it's settled in heaven. You tell us that in the book of Psalms. So every word that we read is true. It's final. We thank you for that because we can trust in it. We know that it's not going to change. And so, Lord, as we've learned today about your miracle of feeding the 5,000, which, of course, was much more than that, but you've done so much with so little. And there's so much to learn here from the faith of the little boy to uh, maybe the lack of faith of the disciples to the, the miracle of Christ and how you, you are the bread and, and just how you teach us so much through these miracles. Uh, would you help the truth of what you've taught us today to sink into our hearts, to sink into our mind, and then help us, Lord, to respond in faith to whatever it is that you're asking us to do. If there's an area of my life, Lord, that has not been surrendered completely to you, Lord, forgive me. I want to surrender everything to the cause of Christ. And so I just pray, Lord, that as we sing this next song, that, again, through the power of your spirit, you would minister to every heart. Show us anything that we might be holding back for ourselves, anything that we may want to keep rather than surrender. We could have so much more, so much more blessings if we would just surrender everything. My prayer, Lord, as well is if there's someone who's hearing this message who has never turned from their sin and trusted in Christ alone by faith to save them, believing that you are the Son of God who died on the cross, shed your blood for our sins, and then took your life up again in the miracle of your own resurrection so that we could have hope of eternal life in you. If there's anybody who is hearing this message and hasn't 
committed their life to you and received the free gift of grace, I pray that they would do that now. That just in the quietness of their own heart, they would turn from their sin, that they would repent and trust in Jesus by faith. For the rest of us, Lord, help us to continue to stretch our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please you. That's what you tell us in your word. So help us to walk by faith. Help us to walk in a way that pleases you. And I can't wait to see what you do with a group of people who will be sold out and surrendered for the cause of Christ. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.